I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 9. I love Isaiah's prophecies because many of them are uh, some clear-cut prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that the other prophets don't say uh, many things in prophecy of Christ, but it seems like Isaiah, as he's talking about prophecies for the different nations and what's going to go on with Israel and so forth, it just seems like just splattered in throughout all of the book of Isaiah, here's a text about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if that in Isaiah's heart, no matter what he's talking about, he just seems to turn everything in his mind toward Jesus Christ. And I know that that's by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but uh, I, I know that God uses the personality of the men that penned the Scripture as He spoke the Word of God through them. Isaiah chapter 9, we'll look at one verse here this morning, verse number 6. The Scripture says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know, ladies and gentlemen, certain situations have a tendency to make us all self-centered. I think that what we've been going through the last three or four months is one of those types of circumstances. It's kind of like the grandmother who's flying on the plane. And uh, of course, the, the, the gentleman sitting next to her is stuck next to her for about four or five hours. Well, this grandmother loved her grandchildren. And I mean, she is telling this gentleman about her grandchildren, their names, their birthdays, their favorite colors. She's going on and on. She even pulled out one of those vinyl trifold things that's showing in pictures. And she's going on and on and on about her grandchildren. And so with about 35, 40 minutes left in the flight, she stops and she goes, well, how selfish of me. I've done all the talking. I haven't given you an opportunity to talk. And so she, she, she paused and she looked at the gentleman and she said, what do you think about my grandchildren? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, in one way or another, let's face it, we all have these tendencies to be somewhat self-centered. And it's a struggle that we all have in one way or another. Here lately, we've had more time to think. At least some people have. I know everyone's circumstances are different, but some have had more time to think, which really ought to be a good thing. But frequently, it backfires. Time to think is a great thing. The problem lies not with our time to think, but with our thinking itself. It's not good to think too much under the wrong influence. And folks, there are a lot of influences on our thinking out in this world. There's the media, the experts, there's Hollywood, not to mention the spirits that are out there. I mentioned the devil. You know, the devil wants to influence our thinking. And his devils, plural, they're always whispering some type of philosophy for life, some kind of great revelation. I'm telling you, we live in a day and age where the modern Christian who knows about a thimble full of the Bible has somehow 
figured out that real true Christianity has been lost and hidden for all of these years, and this generation has figured out a new way to be a Christian. But it only carries just a little teeny tiny bit of the Bible, just enough to fool themselves and fool people. Nothing wrong with thinking. The problem lies with the influences. Perhaps we should, uh, we should get pulled over for a TUI. Thinking under the influence. Take away our thinking license or something. But you know, my goal today is to get us all thinking about Jesus Christ. And so what I want to preach to you this morning is on the wonders of Jesus. Would you bow your heads and go with me as we ask the Lord to bless this time together. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the prophecy that we just read. We thank you that we've seen much of the fulfillment of that prophecy some 2,000 years ago. But Father, there's still much of that prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. And Lord, perhaps we're seeing just the precursor to uh, the days that lie ahead. Perhaps maybe that, uh, that second hand on your clock is just ticking ever, ever closer to your return. Uh, Lord, certainly we're in perilous times in the last days. Help us now in this hour to not think about ourselves not think about our problems, not think about our worries, but to just simply think about you, the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you to help us. I ask you that if anyone here today is not saved, I pray that you'd speak to their heart and save them. I ask for those of us that are saved, that you would help our hearts and help our lives. You know our needs, and we pray, Father, for your grace and your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. The wonders of Jesus, our text, if you look at it once again in verse number 6, it says, His name shall be called Wonderful. I'll say more about that here in just a few minutes. But the word wonderful simply means full of wonder. I mean, I know that's not very profound, but it's worth mentioning. Full of wonder. We know what wonder means. According to the dictionary, wonder can be used as a noun or as a verb. As a noun, the word wonder means a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. That's what wonder is, and Jesus is full of that kind of wonder. We would use that term in a sentence kind of like this. Well, the mother held her newborn baby while she looked upon it with wonder. Well, if you've ever been blessed with a newborn baby, you understand what we mean by the word wonder. You just look at it and you smell it and you touch it and you feel that soft baby skin and you, you see it make movement and even cry and even exhaust certain things. And you just think, wow, what a blessing, what a wonder that God did in giving me this little child. The word can also be used as a noun, and that's the desire to be curious or to know something. I wonder how many people in my community know the Lord Jesus Christ. C.H. Spurgeon said that God the Father never gave His Son a name which He did not deserve. I've gotten some names that I didn't deserve before. 
Some of them are good and I didn't deserve them. Some of them are bad. My name's been mud before. And sometimes I've deserved it, sometimes I haven't. But God never gave Jesus a name that He didn't deserve. However, our text here, if you look at it once again, is not saying that God named Him wonderful. It's saying that His people did. His name shall be called Wonderful. And so it's a testimony to what God's people think or should think of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now when I think of the word wonder, when I think of wonderful, my mind went to the seven wonders of the world. So I looked it up. And according to Wikipedia, uh, this is from 2007. Evidently, every from time to time, they do a, a vote. Now, nowadays they did an online vote. I'm sure that years ago, whoever came up with the list of the seven wonders of the world. I don't know where it all came from, but today, if you look up the seven wonders of the world, as of 2007, they voted on 200 historical sites, and these are the seven that were top vote givers, getters. Number one, the Great Wall of China. I've never seen it, but I've seen pictures of it. It dates back to the 7th century B.C., and it truly is an amazing structure. And certainly you can appreciate how much labor, how much design and architect went into that great wall that was built in order to protect that Chinese dynasty. The second wonder of the world is a place called Petra that's in current day Jordan, there in the, 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 near the nation of Israel. And that dates back to 100 BC, and it was a great fortification built into the mountain that the Jewish people had built in order to have a place where they could go and escape and protect themselves. The third wonder of the world is the Roman Colosseum, which dates back to 80 AD. The fourth, is a Mayan city in Mexico in the Yucatan Peninsula, kind of in the same vicinity as Cancun, where a lot of people go vacationing. But it's a place called, I'll do the best I can to pronounce it, Chichen Itza. That's how they said to pronounce it. You put the emphasis on the last part of the word. So that's the best effort that I can give it. It comes from 600 A.D. It's a Mayan city. The fifth, I can pronounce a little bit better, it's an Incan, uh, Inca city in Peru, 1450 A.D., by the name of Machu Picchu. Where are you from? I'm from Machu Picchu. What'd you say? But uh, it too, as you can see, is an amazing place, a city basically carved into a mountainside. And then number six, you've seen this one in India. From 1648, a place called Taj Mahal, which is really just a mausoleum that a emperor made in as a place to bury his uh, empress queen, and 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 the the modern equivalent of the money that went into the Taj Mahal would be upwards of 600 million dollars today. Six, I think 660. Wouldn't it be interesting? if it was the equivalent was 666 million today to to bury the wife of a pagan king boy that would be interesting but i don't know if that's the case and then number 7 
is a place called Christ the Redeemer. You've seen this photograph. I think you probably saw it a lot uh, in the uh, Olympics not too long ago. And this is a big statue that opened in Brazil in 1931. And so the seventh wonder of the world, according to Wikipedia, is Christ the Redeemer. Well, the world's vote only got it partially right. They got the name right, but the place they missed. Because the place is a person, and it is the Son of God, the King of glory, the King of heaven, my Savior. He is a risen Savior, and He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Certainly, Christ the Redeemer is. He wouldn't be seventh in my list. He would be number one. Now, our verse, our text, gives us four wonders of Jesus that I'd like to point out to you this morning. The first, number one, is He is a wonderful gift. A wonderful gift. Look at it with me once again. It says, a child is born, a son is given. He is a wonderful gift. I've gotten wonderful gifts before. Uh, We've all gotten wonderful gifts, and we've all got gifts that maybe aren't so wonderful. But here, here, uh, not long ago, last April, my daughter Anna wanted to make a gift for my son Josh. And so she said, Papa, can, can we make this? And uh, I, I like woodworking, and I like working in my shop. And she showed me this picture. It's actually a picture that you hang on the wall. And you cut these little strips of wood, and you cut a bunch of 90, or excuse me, 45-degree angles, And in this picture, basically, I should have maybe tried to get it on the screen for you, but as you look at it, it's like you're looking down a highway road with the yellow dotted line, and the road just dies in the distance, and in the distance are all these snow-covered mountain peaks, and then you've got the sky. And all of this is made with different strips of wood that are cut at angles, and she stained it differently and made it just look. And it was one of those things that I've made stuff before that I was proud of, but this wasn't necessarily something I was proud of. It was just, to me, it was so cool, I couldn't stop looking at it, just the effect of it. And yeah, it was a challenging project, and Anna did a fabulous job. And and But when we took it to Josh and gave it to him for his birthday, I thought, I don't want to leave it here. I like looking at it. (laughs) I made a bunch of extra parts. I think I'm going to make myself one. But it was a wonderful gift. It had wonder. It's just, I just liked looking at it. And you know what? Jesus is a wonderful gift. And the more that we look at him, spiritually speaking, the more that we see, and he's just so, he's such an amazing savior. He is a gift that God gave to us. John 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world. Don't ever get complacent about something you're so familiar with. For God so loved the world. How much did He love us? That He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God, watch this, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This verse reveals the purpose and the passion of God toward you and I, toward the human race, toward man. 
It's amazing that God would look down on us with so much love that He would give this wonderful gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He sent His Son to save us, not condemn us. Now, if you're a Bible student, you know that we read further in the Scripture that the overall effect... I'm talking about if we were just to look at the numbers, the overall effect of Christ coming into into this world has truthfully been more condemning than it has been saving. But that's not on God. That's on us. That's our problem because the Bible says in John 3, verse number 19, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. But that's not God's purpose. That's not God's plan. I mean, God sending Christ into this world to die for us. There was no greater demonstration of His love and passion toward the human race to try to save us and to redeem us. Certainly, Christ the Redeemer is the wonder of this world. What a wonderful, wonderful gift. I think about Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 3 where Paul wrote, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The fullness of time, it was God's plan and God's purpose to redeem us through the wonderful gift that He has provided. I don't know about you, but I just can't quit looking at that wonderful gift. I see something new every day. I see something new every verse. Something that shows me how much that God loves me when He sent His Son to die for my sins. So the first wonder of Jesus is the wonderful gift. The second is it's a wonderful possession. Notice once again in our text, verse number 6 of Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It is a wonderful possession. And the us, who is the us? Well, I got good news for you. The us is the same whosoever that we just read about in John 3.16. You don't have to be special. You don't have to be part of any religious denomination or organization. I mean, you talk about some of the problems that are going on in modern culture today as far as differences and fighting and misunderstandings. Listen, Jesus is a wonderful possession for whosoever. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter if you have money or if you have nothing. It doesn't matter if you're smart or if you're like me. Praise the Lord. He's a wonderful, wonderful possession. John 1 verse number 11 says, He came unto His own. That's, that's the Jewish people. Alright? It was God's specific plan to come 
Jesus came to the Jew. And there's some passages of Scripture that you'll read in the Gospels that will make that clear. Remember when the Canaanite woman came up to Jesus and wanted Him to do something for her? And He said, sorry, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And boy, if that were to happen today, you talk about CNN having a heyday with that. Listen, if the Pharisees hadn't have crucified Jesus, the media would certainly crucify Him for that today. I haven't even said the rest of the story. He said, it's not meat, it's not acceptable to take the children's meat and to cast it to dogs. <laughs> oh my goodness. You talk about, how could Jesus, that's so unchristlike of Him. Wait a minute, wouldn't you say that everything that Jesus did was Christ-like? But you know what that woman did? She said, truth, Lord, you're right. But she said, the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I don't have a picture Bible, I only have the words, but the Bible says that Jesus marveled at her faith. It's like Jesus went, whoa, where'd that come from? And you know what He did? He answered her prayer, and He gave her what her need, He met her need, and even though she was what He had already classified as a dog that wasn't fit to get anything from Him. He gave her more than the crumb that she desired. Her faith, he said, you got some great faith, lady. And her faith was born of her humility. You know what? There's a lot of ministries and there are a lot of organizations, a lot of movie stars and celebrities are trying to do a lot of things to try to resolve some of the tensions and contentions that are in our nation today. But I'll tell you what we need more than anything is we just need a lot more humility than what we have. And I'm talking across the board. We need to remember that all of us are just a bunch of dogs that God threw a crumb. And praise the Lord for that. He came to His own, and His own received Him not. Praise the Lord, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. He is a wonderful possession. I'm amazed. I stand in wonder to think that Christ is mine and that I am His. I want you to help me here this morning because my wife always makes fun of me when I sing in front of you by myself. And so I thought, okay, I'll just show them. I'll show her. We're all going to sing this together because many of you know this hymn. All right? You ready for it? Jesus, my Lord, will From Him no power of evil can sever he gave His life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to Him. Think about it now. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. 
Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. On this next verse, let's pick up the volume just a little bit. Once I was lost in sin's degradation, Jesus came down to bring me salvation, lifted me up from sorrow and shame. Now I belong to Him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Joy floods my soul, for Jesus has saved me. Praise the Lord. His precious blood He came to redeem. Now I belong to Him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. These are wonderful possessions. Say amen. Amen. What a wonderful possession is the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to our third wonder this morning. He's got a wonderful name. We just read in our text about some names here. He's a wonderful counselor. When the Bible says that he is counselor, it's saying that Jesus has wisdom. And you know what Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew 12 and verse number 24? He said, the queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, by the way, who brought a big old camel train up to see uh, Solomon and try to hear his wisdom, And Jesus said, she's going to rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Because she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She went a long, long way just to hear the words of Solomon. And Jesus said, behold, a greater than Solomon is here, right here in front of you. You know, we live in America today, and we don't have to go very far in order to sit at the feet of Jesus. There's Bible-believing churches all across this land. There's Bibles. You can buy a, a Bible at Walmart for about a... Last time I looked, you can get one for a buck ninety-nine. I mean, you've got, we've got red letters that we can listen to what Jesus has to say. He's a wonderful counselor. And I would to God that more of us would get our wisdom from Him rather than from this world. If you need wisdom for a decision, don't Google it. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Jesus is a whole lot better than Google. And Twitter. And Twitter. I'll try not to be too corny here this morning. But think about it. 
Think about how many people that have lived, how many books that have been written, how many songs that have been sung, how many empires have risen and fallen, how many things that have come and gone, and yet Jesus, the Creator of this universe, has seen them all. If you're saved, the Bible says that He lives inside of you. We have the source of wisdom right inside of us. And not only that, but we have His written Word right here. And so we have the source of wisdom. He is a wonderful counselor. He will never... I've given some bad advice before. Uh, more so, I still, I'm sure, still susceptible to that. But in my younger years in the ministry... I look back and I think about some of the things that I said to people and I just go, oh Lord, please forgive me. I didn't know what I was talking about. I mean, I, I, I thought I did, but all of my theories were just, they looked really good on paper, but reality has a tendency of just kind of making us tear up our theories paper. And I think, wow, I, I had to learn. And you know, one of the things that I had to, to learn is to uh, don't be so quick to give advice. You're better off to just listen. And, um, you know, there's a time for advice, but I've given bad advice before, but our wonderful counselor has never, ever, ever given any bad advice. We read in our text here that he's also, he's named, he is called the mighty God, the mighty God. You know, there are so many religions in America that claim to be Christian religions that deny that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. You know what? I, I understand that, hey, we don't all cross our T's and dot our I's. And Lord, and, and there are some things that I can put up with that people have a little different mentality and they believe a little differently or they have different practices and I, I talked to a gentleman uh, just the other day who was talking about the Bible issue in different ways. He said, well, probably the only way that I'm different than you. And he's naming some of these. And I said, well, you know what, sir? I said, the way that I look at it is that um, when I'm outside of my pulpit and I'm not accountable and responsible for what I'm teaching and saying, then all right, if that's where you believe, then I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to attack you. I'm not going to judge you because we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so don't judge me if I teach something different when I stand before my flock, because what I say from this pulpit, I'm very, very accountable for. But when I step down out of here, I'm Brother Randy, not necessarily Pastor Mitchell. And so I think that there is some grace that needs to be given. But when people start denying that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh, that is a line that is drawn. And I have to say, if you don't believe that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, I don't consider you a brother in Christ. Hey, Third John says, don't even bid him Godspeed. Don't even say, God bless you. Hey, I, I don't mean to be ugly here this morning, but if a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door... Don't say, God bless you. Don't say, I appreciate what you're doing. Because they're telling people that Jesus was not God. And that is just, that's a horrible thing. So yeah, there are lines that need to be drawn. And that's one of them. He is the mighty God. But what God is saying is that, that, he is, uh, he, that Jesus 
in His wonderful name that He has the power of a mighty God. You know, if you think about it, there was a lot of demonstrations of power that Jesus made while He was here on this earth. I think about the disciples on the Sea of Galilee and rowing and toiling and the wind was contrary and the waters filling the boat and they woke Jesus up. Master, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus wasn't all worked up. He said, what's wrong with your faith? And he said, peace be still. I, I don't think that he, you know, he didn't have a staff like Moses did. And you know, these, these some of these modern religions, they have to do something, oh, you know, they have to hit you on the head or they have to do something that's demonstrative, almost like it's witchcraft in order to have a some kind of miraculous power of God take place. Jesus just said, Peace be still. I, I, you know, I almost doubt. I, was, I, I can't really know exactly how that went. But as I read in the Gospels and the personality of Christ as He was manifest, I really find it hard to believe that Jesus stood up, went to the stern of the boat, and said, Peace be still. I, you know, I, I really think that Jesus, as He's talking to the disciples and they're panicking, He probably just said, peace be still. Because He wasn't trying to impress anyone. That's what mighty power is all about. When you have power, you don't have to try to impress people. But the bottom line is that the natural elements instantaneously, not only did the wind cease, but it says that the sea was immediately calm. I know something about troubled waters. The wind could instantly stop, but the waters are still going to be doing this for about three days, right? Jesus said, peace be still. And that sea was instantly like a glass. That's the mighty power of our wonderful Savior. But what was the biggest demonstration of His power? Was it raising Lazarus from the dead? Nope. It was raising Himself from the dead. You try to do anything after you die. Let me know how that works. Oh, I woke up the other morning dead. No, no, well, you, no you didn't. <laughs> you know, there's a passage in the Old Testament that said when they all awoke, they were dead men. And I'm going, what? <laughs> or in the morning. I, anyhow, interesting wording. But uh, look at John 10, verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Hey, if you're afraid of dying, if you're afraid of getting the coronies, if you're afraid of anything, if you're saved, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the power of Jesus Christ. He had power to raise Himself from the dead. He certainly has power to raise you and I from the dead. That's our mighty God. It says here that He's also called the Everlasting Father. That means He's eternal. 
forever. He's eternal past. He's eternal future. Hey, look in, in Isaiah 9 and just look down a couple verses here at verse number, or excuse me, the next verse, verse number 7. Watch this. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and upon his uh, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Now, now I know that a lot of religions try to redefine what everlasting means. You can hear it on the radio every now and then, but I got news for you. He is the everlasting Father. He is forever, from henceforth forever. Praise the Lord. If He's mine and I'm Him, then I have eternal life because in Him is eternal life. The wonder of His name. And then the last one we find in our text, verse number 6, is the Prince of Peace. When I think of the Prince of Peace, I certainly think of the word grace. You know, peace is a wonderful thing to have. Jesus said in John 14, verse number 27, He said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What kind of peace can the world give us? Circumstantial peace. Temporary peace. But Jesus can give eternal, unconditional, without need of any circumstances, no matter what we are going through, brothers and sisters, if we know this wonderful Jesus, then we can have His peace inside of us. My last point here this morning is the fourth wonder of Jesus is a wonderful promise. We just read it here that the government shall be on his shoulders. We've got a wonderful promise that we're going to have a king on this earth one day, and he's going to be a righteous king. A total dictator, by the way. We're not going to be able to vote like what we're used to. And by the way, the the freedom and the democracy that we enjoy today, this is unprecedented in 6,000 years of human history. And and I would say, enjoy it while you can. But I will say this, that it is a right that was given to us by our Constitution, but it is not... Let me me back up here. We call it a right, but it is a privilege. But it's not a God-given right. So we ought to be appreciative for what we have, and the fact that we have some say-so in our government. Now, once again, without trying to be ugly or mean-spirited, wouldn't you agree that as you look at what this nation is becoming, and that the people of this nation are the ones that are electing our authority, Doesn't that concern you just a little bit? It ought to. It shouldn't take our peace away. It shouldn't cause anxiety. But we should have enough sense to go, "Eh, I don't think this is really looking too good. But we need to be looking past that and realizing that beyond Trump, 
beyond whoever the next guy is, beyond whatever is going to happen in our nation or in this world, there is the Lord Jesus Christ. And after the Antichrist comes and deceives basically this whole world, it's not going to be that difficult. You say, how is he going to do that? I mean, people have been reading the Bible and God's just spelled it all out. Well, I think we can look around and say it's probably not going to be that difficult because we have an entire society that is being preconditioned for the Antichrist. But Jesus is still coming back. And Revelation 19.11 says He's coming back on a white horse in righteousness to judge and to uh, with a rod of iron, and He's going to make everything right because He is the righteous King and the Prince of Peace. The Bible says that the first king of Israel was Saul, who was a man that was head and shoulders above everyone else when he was made king. But I've got news for you that Christ is not head and shoulders above everyone in his physical stature, but my Bible says that he's got a name that is above every name. Philippians 2 verse 9, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the wonders of Jesus is that He has a name that is above every name. In conclusion, I'd like to say to you this morning that of the wonders of Jesus, He is more than to be admired. I have not seen any of these seven wonders of the world. I've seen some pretty amazing things. I saw one of the Mayan villages and pyramids outside of Mexico City. I've been to the great pyramids right outside of Cairo. I've seen some beautiful places uh, flying to uh, Yakutat, Alaska, and looking outside of that plane window and seeing these glaciers coming down and just an uh, ocean that was so blue that you just couldn't even... It's like you couldn't pick a color out of a, uh, out of a paint uh, uh, palette to, to make that kind of color. It was so vivid, and the mountains were snow-capped. And it's like, Wow! That is incredible. I've seen some beautiful things that were worth admiring, but He is more than to be admired. He is to be worshipped. And if there's anything that we need here today that's more than worship, um, we're, we're messed up in our thinking. We, we, we think that we have to have a, a stockpile of toilet paper chicken, eggs, bread. You know, I, I went to the store the other day, and of course, I mean, it's 75 degrees out, but I was afraid that it was going to snow because there was no bread. Northerners go, what are you talking about? If you're from around here, you know that if there's no bread, it's going to snow. Well, I need this and I need that. You know what we need, brothers and sisters? 
we need to worship the Lord Jesus Christ because He is a wonder that is worthy of worship. In Matthew 21, it's a little sobering thought here. We saw all of these cities that were built, basically carved into a mountaintop, just amazing fortifications. But Jesus said in Matthew 21, verse 42, He said, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Notice verse 44. He says, whosoever shall fall on this stone, that's Jesus, shall be broken. As a five-year-old boy, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Simple childlike faith. I strayed away from the Lord for most of my high school years. And the year before I turned 20, after being under conviction for a long time and resisting the Lord and trying to figure out how to get my way but not make God mad at me and just the, the whole nine yards, there came a point in my life where I recognized that I need to fall on the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to just throw myself on Him and quit trying to maintain control of my own life. Whosoever shall fall upon this stone shall be broken. I was broken when I fell upon Jesus. My heart was broken. My will was broken. My life was broken. And then the Lord began to repair me. He began to fix my life, so to speak. There are many people that are not willing to fall upon that stone and be broken. And the Lord says, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. I'd much rather be broken than to be ground to powder. I showed you Petra, one of the seven wonders of the world, just a little while ago. And Petra was considered to be invincible but it wasn't. But I've got good news for you that Jesus Christ, the stone, the rock, He is the door. He is the gate. He is the way. He is the rock. The wonders of Jesus, I'd like to say or ask you this morning, are His wonders your wonders? Is He your door? Is He your rock? Is He your way? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this wonderful passage of Scripture and these wonders of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we confess to You this morning that it is a joy to know You as Savior. It's a joy to have a home in heaven. It's a joy to have a peace that passeth all understanding. Thank You for being our Counselor. Thank You for being our powerful, mighty God and everlasting Father. And thank You for being our King of kings and Lord of lords and having that name that is above every name. I pray now that You'd bless the people that are here today, uh, those that are listening uh, over the Internet. We pray, Father, for every listener, whether it's now or later, 
We pray that the Word of God would speak to their heart, that perhaps someone would come to know Christ as their personal Savior through the message today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.